morning, church. So good to see all of you and those of you who are gathered online. I'm thrilled that you're with us. Uh, hey, um, I am aware of uh, a couple of things that are going on um, that we need to pray over. And uh, we're going to just pause right now and do that. Uh, we're going to, I just, a couple things. First of all, I can't even get the words out. Man, I'm kind of excited today. Um, okay, so first of all, uh, that feeling that you had when we were worshiping, that was, that was Holy Spirit. He was in the house. And um, one of the things I love about having the kids is they're little barbarians. I mean, they just, <laughs> they just sing out. And they don't realize what they're doing, but I think God loves it. <laughs> Let that sink in, right? They don't know. They're just going to sing. And they're going to sing louder than you, right? And so when they do, I'm pretty sure the angels show up and go, man, what is going on here? I think I'm, I'm fairly certain that's what's going on. But in, in those moments when Holy Spirit is active, sometimes he, he puts things in our hearts and, and we're going to... Anyway, speaking of hearts, I am aware of one heart condition that I want to pray over. Um, I just am getting the sense that maybe the Lord wants to do some things with hearts, and I mean the physical, maybe the spiritual. I don't know. It's up to him. We're just going to pray for it. So uh, I wonder if you all might just stand for one more minute. I know uh, you get a chance to sit down. We're going to stand up. Um, is there anybody <clears throat> who is aware of some type of a heart condition that we could be praying for, whether it's yourself or someone else? Okay, it's all right. So um, I know that there's one over here. Um, Lisa, Gina, would you mind putting uh, hands on uh, Mike and Cindy there? Um, if there's other ones, if you see somebody who's raised their hand, please just go and, and, uh, and there's one up here. Let's just, let's just if you, even if you're not near anybody, just do this, right? You know, just live, put up, put up, push out your hands for that. God, <clears throat> we're going to make room for you right now. Because we're serious about chasing after your presence and believing that you are still in the business of blowing our minds. That you love to heal and you love to, to bring hope and you love to change the circumstances. When everything else says no, you still say yes. That sometimes we get diagnoses that are just like curses and we break that off in the name of Jesus. And we say, no, there's a God who still heals. There's a God who still loves his people. There's a God who still interacts with those he loves. And so Lord, for every heart that's represented here, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a spiritual thing, we believe that you have the ability and desire to change it, to heal it, to put things back into place, to put things to right. God, we are going to trust you, and then we're going to testify. can hardly wait to tell the stories of an active God because the people we're bold enough, we're courageous enough to simply believe. You're good, and that's it. You're just good. 
And we're going to lean into that today. We're going to lean into that this week. We are going to trust you for all these things. And even as we are here and the hands are laid and people are praying silently, God, you hear it all. And we trust you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in advance for the things that you are doing and are going to do. Even the stuff we can't see. And we pray that it would bring glory to your name and we would still have courage to testify. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you. Have a seat. Ah, good stuff. I love when when the Holy Spirit's active like that because he prompts crazy things. You know, we... We have a we have a sheet <clears throat> that uh, goes by you know every element of the service so that everybody's on the same page. And frankly, I love it when Holy Spirit disrupts it. I just I like it. I don't want to do it all the time. No, I'm kidding. I really like when that happens. So, um, hey, by the way, um, Scott mentioned this. We've got this prayer initiative. Uh, we've been praying about uh, more of His presence and hearing His voice both personally and collectively. Um, one of the things that I recognize is that uh, some of it's getting pushed out on, on the app, and um, I'm thinking that we need to do the text messages. Are you all getting the prompts? on? Okay, because I know some folks aren't, and so we'll see if we can correct that uh, going forward because we've got a couple, couple of weeks, um, and I think it's really important that we're, we're doing that together. We're praying for those things uh, personally, and then we're also praying for it uh, corporately. Because I think that God wants to speak to both of those, both of our hearts individually, but also collectively as a church. Um, and that's exciting when he does that. So our, our series is called Fire in the Fireplace, um, and we're, we're talking about what it means to live life daily with Holy Spirit. And last week, we learned from the Old Testament, from Leviticus of all places, um, <clears throat> that God lights the fire, but we have to keep it going. Um, <clears throat> And that's why we, we kind of emphasize here this idea of chasing after or seeking after the presence of God. Um, and today what I want to show you is that this is not just an Old, Old Testament idea, okay? So one of the things that happened last week is I, take, I, I took an Old Testament concept, this altar used for sacrificial worship, which we don't do anymore, and I applied it to Christianity, okay? I applied it to kind of New Testament Christianity. It's called an interpretive jump. That's what it's called. There, I confessed, now I can preach, okay? So I'm, you know, we have this jump. But I want you to understand that there's a similar idea in the New Testament. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not making uh, an interpretive jump that's uh, out of bounds, okay? I'm not gonna get flagged on this call. But it's also in the New Testament. I want you to see that. And to that end, I'm gonna invite you to 2 Timothy chapter one. Um, and by the way, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you're going to want to keep it open because we're going we're gonna to dig a little deeply. You know, sometimes I like to um, bounce around in the text and show you how different things are connected. Other times, I like to do a deep dive. This is a deep dive. So you Bible scholars are going to dig this, okay? Here, this, this is where we're going to go. Um, so if you, if you have a Bible or Bible app, open it up. Um, and if you haven't brought your Bible, bring one. You should bring a Bible. It's important. You should do that. Uh, and while you're finding it, I want to talk a little bit about, about the Apostle Paul who wrote this, this letter to Timothy. There's a couple of people that we read about in the book of Acts that are in what I would call Paul's orbit. There are certain individuals that are kind of his go-to. So there's a man named Titus. 
And Titus was often um, kind of in the wake of Paul. So Paul would go and he'd plant a church and then he would try to find a leader to come in behind him to shore it up, to strengthen and encourage that church. And Titus was one of those individuals. Uh, You also have Priscilla and Aquila, um, this uh, kind of New Testament power couple. And, And really what's interesting is because their names are listed that way, it's very likely that Priscilla was the more noteworthy of the two, okay? Just, you know, you, you can believe whatever you want to about that, but I just find it very interesting that her name is always first. And so those two um, would do very similar things, and Paul spent a lot of time with them. In fact, there's some suggestion that when we talk about husbands and wives in, a, in Ephesians chapter five, a lot of that came from his understanding of the relationship that Priscilla and Aquila had with each other. It's really fascinating to think about. And then those two, that power couple, had kind of a protege, a man named Apollos, who is also in Paul's orbit. Um, Very likely, he's the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. It is a brilliant piece of literature. And by every indication in the text, Apollos was a brilliant communicator. So there's a good possibility that he was the the author of that particular work. And then finally, um, the other one that you hear, there's a couple of other minor characters, but the other one you hear about is Timothy. And Timothy actually has two letters that are written to him. And what's so fascinating is that Paul obviously knows the family, which we're going to see here in a minute. There's a relationship between Timothy and Paul um, that's more than just mentor-apprentice. In fact, at one point, if if I recall right, uh, Paul actually says, Timothy, my son. It's that type of familiarity, right? And so there's an intimacy there between these two individuals that's uh, both captivating and instructive, I think. So um, there's a lot that's going on here, and and we're going to see that in a minute. So I'm going to read the passage. Uh, I want to point out and explain a couple of points within that passage, uh, and then I'm going to offer a thought. Um, One that, frankly, I haven't seen before, and I'm I'm pretty... It's one of those things where, where... Sometimes the preacher's preaching to himself. This is one of those, okay? So I'm just going to say that up front. Um, here's the text. All right, we're going to read. I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to begin with verse 5. We're only going to read a couple of verses here because uh, it's just so packed with stuff that we need to understand. Okay, so this is the beginning of his letter. Uh, verse 5, Paul writes, I have been reminded of your, Timothy's, sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. So obviously he knew the family, right? This is very clear. And I am persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Sound familiar? Okay. Which is in, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. Lots of stuff in here. For three uh, verses, my goodness, um, we're going to see quite a few things. There's a good chance this is is familiar to you. You may have um, uh, either read this before, or you may have studied it before. But you can see right away that Paul obviously knew this family. And what's so fascinating to me is that the people that he knew in the family were the females, right? 
and he points them out. I have no idea about grandfather or father, but he didn't know the grandmother and the mother and mentions them. And obviously, those two had influence on Timothy himself. And so I think that um, in some ways, Paul may have served kind of as a surrogate father figure, at least in Timothy's life. And oh, what a father figure that would have been, huh? So I want you to notice first in verse 6, right? He says, for this reason. Now, anytime you see that preposition for, it's usually referring to something previously. And the best way to describe this is that if you go in verse 5, he says, I am persuaded that this sincere faith lives in you. Sincere faith. For the reason of sincere faith. Do you understand that? So he's giving this idea that um, uh, there's this, there's this reason why he's reminding him of something, and it's because of the sincere faith. Now, what's interesting is that when we talk about um, sincere or sincerity, the, the Greek word here is um, undisguised, transparent, um, or authentic or real is another way that you could, you could think about this. So your sincere faith, your authentic faith, your real faith, I am persuaded that your faith is real. It is sincere. It is transparent. It is undisguised. I don't know about you, but I would love it if somebody would describe me that way. Is my faith that sincere? Is it that? Every time I see the word sincere, I got to be honest, I keep thinking about Linus in the pumpkin patch. Nothing but sincerity and sincerity. The great pumpkin is going to show up because of my sincerity, right? Well, you get the idea here. He's transparent. He actually believes in the great pumpkin, much to Sally's dismay because she missed trick-or-treats, right? But the sincerity piece really is about authenticity. It's really about uh, truth. And it's, uh, I love that word, undisguised. So I see a sincere faith in your family and in you, and for this reason, I need to remind you of something. And the word here for remind means to admonish or to uh, encourage, right? I'm going to remind you of it, but it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like a poke. It's just poking. I'm not just reminding you. I'm, I'm kind of pushing you in that direction. I don't mean it negatively, but it's just something where it's, it's more than just kind of, you know, a reminder to, you know, don't forget your lunch before you walk out the door. It's not like that. It's I'm reminding you that there's something important that's here. And the implication, I think, is that there's more. You have a sincere faith. It is undisguised. It is transparent. And yet, there's more. And so I want to remind you of something. You have a sincere faith. Great. Just don't settle for a sincere faith. There's more. And, and I am continually reminded personally that there is always another step with Jesus. Always. And there's more to learn, and there's more to the character development, and it doesn't matter if you're young, um, get in the game. It doesn't matter if you're in midlife, keep going. It doesn't matter if you are seasoned. There's no retirement in the kingdom. It doesn't exist. There's always this one more step, one more step, one more step to take with Jesus. So keep that in mind. He says, I am, re, um, I am persuaded of your sincere faith, and because of that, I want to remind you. Okay? So there's something, there's something more. 
And then he claims that that next step is to fan into flame the gift of God. This is really, really interesting stuff. Because that's the next step. It's not just the sincere faith, but rather there's something else in you, and you need to fan that into flame. Now, before we go any further, one of the questions we have to ask is what is the gift of God? What's that gift? Fan into flame the gift of God. So what is that gift? Now, some people suggest that it's the Holy Spirit himself. That Holy Spirit is the gift. Others will say that it's the spiritual gifts that we get when we become a believer. Fan those into flame. And my response is yes. Both and, not either or. It is both those two things. And we find that answer in verse 7. Verse 7 is, um, I think, the key to the entire thing. Because uh, he says, Uh, He writes, for the spirit God gave us, that's number one, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So the spirit God gave is the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is that that spirit does not make us timid. You want to know what the word timid means? Cowardly. It does not make us cowardly cowardly. Holy Spirit runs contrary to cowardice. Remember that. If you need boldness, if you need courage, that's what Holy Spirit is there for. So the first step in all of this is the gift that God gives us is Holy Spirit. But then Holy Spirit is the one who gives us additional gifts, and we're going to see what that looks like next. Now, what's fascinating to me is I've read this passage dozens of times, I think. Um, and I've never seen this before, which is one thing I just love. I, I, love, I love those kinds of... I don't like surprises except like this. This is a cool surprise. I kind of like this. Or happy birthday surprise. That one's cool too. But most surprises I don't, I don't particularly like. But this one I, I, I do... I do love it when something comes to light within the text that I haven't seen before. So notice what Holy Spirit imparts, right? There's a couple of things here. He doesn't give us a spirit uh, of timidity, of cowardice. That's not it. Instead, what he provides to us are three things. Power, love, and self-discipline. And I want to take each one of these and I want to talk about this. So the first word is power, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamic, by the way. So dunamis. Um, And that word is usually associated with miracles, signs, and wonders. When the power of the Lord takes place, it's dunamis. Now there's other words for power, but we're not talking about wealth. We're not talking about that type of influence. We're talking about mostly within the Old Test- or New Testament, we're talking about this idea of the miraculous, of, of um, the, the power of, of the Spirit to do things that are supernatural in nature. These are the spiritual gifts. So Holy Spirit is the gift, but so are the gifts that he gives. So if we want to answer that question, verse 7 tells us, what's the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, and what Holy Spirit provides to us? One of which 
are the spiritual gifts. Do you understand why I say both and, not either or? So the gift of God here is Holy Spirit and the gifts that he provides. Now let's be clear. The gifts come from the spirit that God gave. There's an order to this. So it's not just like, whammo, you get spiritual gifts. No, you get the spirit of God first, and then the spirit of God distributes the gifts as he sees fit. Okay? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 20, Paul writes that the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. Dunamis. It's that word. Okay? So this is great. We can speak this all we want, but the kingdom of God is also power. This is the reason why we pray for healing. This is the way why we pray for insight. This is why we pray for breakthrough. All of those things is because the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. That's the word here. Holy Spirit is the one who provides that to us. So you got to get this order correct. You got to understand how this all happens. And I I think this is one of the reasons why we emphasize here this idea of seeking after the presence of God, because power follows presence. It's that order. And so you can chase after the power, but if you don't care anything about the presence of God, good luck with that, right? So you've got to get it in the right order. We want the presence of God, and the power of God follows after that, okay? So that's the first thing that Spirit gives to us, power. Second is love. The word here is agape. Different types of words for love, but agape is uh, divine love or sacrificial love. It's the one that's um, always associated with the love of Christ, the love of Jesus. John 3.16, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, you, you remember this? It's agape. That's the word that's used there. <clears throat> Holy Spirit is God, right? We have the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so if God is love, then Holy Spirit is love, and it's not surprising that he imparts love to us. But here's the thing that you have to remember, and this is the thing I think, I think is so easy to forget a lot of the time. Love is the context for power. The power of God, the dunamis, happens within the context of love, always. You want an atmosphere for the power of God to work? It must be love. It's the currency of the kingdom, right? We're talking about the kingdom of God, and love is part of that atmosphere. Love is the context for kingdom power, not influence, not wealth, not knowledge, not any of it. God is love and wants to share good things with his kids. Do you see that? That is a fundamental belief. If you are going to pray for any type of breakthrough, any type of miracle, this is the place that you cannot doubt. It's the fact that God is love. That love creates the atmosphere, creates the context for power. You have to see those two things in relationship to one another. Power and love go hand in hand. Finally, there's this interesting little uh, phrase at the end. Gives us power, love, 
and self-discipline. Um, the word here, I'm going to see if I can pronounce this right, because it's fun to say when I get it right. <clears throat> Sophranismas. Easy for me to say, right? Sophranismas. Okay? <clears throat> There's a couple of different ways um, to translate this, and they all sort of overlap. My favorite way is self-control. Self-discipline kind of implies that there is something that I do. I discipline myself to do certain things. But self-control seems to be a little bit different. Um, it's not something that's necessarily routine. It seems to me that self-control is one of those things that I need in the moment rather than kind of a routine of, of every single day. Maybe. That's kind of where I am right now. The problem is this is the only time that word is used in the New Testament. So it's not like we can go to another passage to try to get an understanding of what Paul was talking about. This is the only place that that's used. So the question then is, why would this be included in the toolbox that Holy Spirit gives, gives to us? Why would he do that? Why is self-control a part of the overall package? And I puzzled over this for quite some time um, and thinking about it. And I think kind of where I've landed on this is that Self-control protects us. We need Holy Spirit to help um, us maintain our self-control to protect us. So you can tap into Holy Spirit to protect you from sin and keep you from losing his presence. It's about self-control. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But we have access to his power and to his love, and we long for it. It's one of the things we pray. It's why we prayed this morning, is that we want to see God move that way. But we also have access to self-control so that we don't jeopardize the other two. Because if you don't have self-control, you fall into sin, and guess what you lose? You lose your love, which is the context for power. You lose it all. And so you want to stay away from those things. This is about holiness. This is about righteousness. Self-control is a function of holiness. And you want to maintain that in order to have love so that you can have the power. Do you see how they all fit together? They all fit together. And this is what Holy Spirit provides to us. I don't want to jeopardize the other two. Um, very recently, within the last couple of years, there have been several high-profile church leaders that have fallen in various things. And what I want to argue is, I think it's a self-control issue. I really do. And when we talk about self-control, we're talking about holiness. We're talking about righteousness. If I don't keep myself controlled through power of Holy Spirit, I run the risk of losing it all. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on the things that God has for me, has for the church. And so there's a, there's a dire warning here. Now, again, I'm not condemning. I'm just saying that there's a better way. There's more than just sincere faith. There's power, there's love, there's self-control, and they're all related to one another. I didn't learn that in seminary. Like, what, where was this when I was trying to figure, you know, discipleship out? I'm just so thankful that the Lord kind of illuminated all of this. 
So power, love, self-control are great characteristics to pray for. I noticed in my journal recently I've been praying about these things. And, you know, for a long time I'm like, Lord, I just want to see you move. And I, I've come to kind of the place where I just want to be in the room when you move. I don't have to lead it. I just want to be in the room. But what I'm beginning to realize is that if I don't have love in my heart, there's, there's no place for power to operate. And if I don't have any self-control, <laughs> I'm not going to have any love and therefore no, no power. So I'm beginning to pray for these things. Oh, God. Where is it in my heart that I'm missing these things because I don't want to miss what you have in mind? I don't want to miss out on the kingdom because the kingdom is not one of words. The kingdom is one of power. I don't want to miss that kind of kingdom. I want to see that actually occur. Now, I need to dance with the one who brung me, okay? I need to, to, to get to the line that brought us to this passage, and you'll remember <clears throat> that it was in verse 6, fan into flame the gift. Okay, fan into flame. Last week we said God started the fire, but the priests had to tend it. God begins the fire in you, but we have to tend that fire. You see the similarity here? Fan into flame. Immediately, my mind goes to the altar and the fact that every morning the priests would have to come in and stoke that fire. I think this is what Paul had in mind. It's the same idea. So here's the obvious but unspoken truth, okay? Here's the thing that I want you to write down. You got a journal, you got something, you got a pen and paper. This is the thing you probably need to write down so that you can take this with you, okay? This is the obvious but unspoken truth. Your gift can grow cold. Your gift can grow cold. The fire that's in your heart, the spirit of God that you have within you when you became a believer can grow cold. Your relationship with Holy Spirit can fade in intensity and frequency. You can lose your capacity for power. Your love can become warped. And usually when that happens, your love turns inward towards yourself and selfishness. And your self-control goes right out the window. And what happens is you become vulnerable to Satan and temptation. I need to put that out in black and white terms because I, I, want, I want you to have a transparent, sincere type of faith. This is reality. Your faith, your gift can grow cold. And from time to time, that happens to, to everybody. But understand what the implications are of that. And this is why Paul says to Timothy, yes, your faith is sincere. But fan into flame the gift. Don't settle for just the sincere faith. Take it the next step. And so it is with the rest of us. Because that gift can go cold. And I want to suggest to you a couple of things. I have no intention of using fear tactics. I just want to lay out the risks and, and what, you, you, what we all probably want to, to avoid. And there, there are two things, again, I'll suggest this to you, the two, I'll call them like, they're kind of like ice monsters. They're coolers. There's things that, that will, it's like the fire extinguisher, right? 
And these are things that come up in our lives that typically cause our faith, cause our gift to cool, where we have to fan it back into flame. Two things primarily. There's others, but these are the two big ones, okay? And I want to talk about these. <clears throat> the first one is flat-out shame. Because you're trying to live your life for God. You're trying to listen to his voice. You're trying to respond to the things you hear. And there's this little voice in the back of your head that says, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not enough. Who do you think you are? And that is a recording that plays over and over in your mind in various forms, different voices, but it's still the thing that you hear, that you're not enough. Now, here's the, here's the thing. That voice is partially true. You're not enough. Paul writes to another church, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's true. We're not enough. Now, I understand the psychology of it today when we say, oh, you are enough, you're you know, enough. Mm. What we hear from Scripture is, with Jesus, you are enough. With Jesus, the sin that causes you to fall short of the glory of God is taken away. And you are enough, and God begins to see you through the lens of Jesus, and not only are you enough, you are more than enough. So it is true that you might not be enough. You may have some things in your life that are less than what they need to be and that's when God comes alongside and he puts around the army and goes, oh, I got so much better for you. Let's grow together. Here's some things that we can do. Or he says, like I told you last week, you know what, I know there are some things that we need to work on but here's something I love about you and I want to go deeper in that with you. But it's that relational component that we have that begins to chip away at the shame that says, you know, who do you think you are? I know who I am. I am a son. I am a daughter of the living God. And because of that, I am enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He who has begun a good work in me will see it through to completion. That's a promise. As long as we stick with it, as long as we stay with it, and that voice of shame gets less and less and less. You plus Holy Spirit equals more than enough. That's the equation. You're a daughter, you're a son. Remember who you are when the accusation comes because it's going to come. Who do you think you are? Oh, really? We're going to go down that road? Look, here's the thing. I've already settled this. I'm a son. I'm adopted. I have an inheritance. I know all those things. If Satan, you don't like it, you take it up with him. I don't have to deal with you. Shame cools us if we let that voice continue in our heads. <clears throat> Here's the second one. And this one, I think, is more common, more subtle, and actually more powerful. It's distraction. Shame and distraction. This is the easiest of the devil's schemes, by far. Look, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? If he can't do that, he'll just distract you. It's easy to distract us. 
you know, we can have hobbies, we can have people in our lives, we can have social media, we can have addictions, and I'm telling you, all of those things right in the palm of our hands. Now, if you walk out of here and you're saying, oh, Pastor David doesn't like cell phones and he's condemning them, you would be right, I'm doing that. Can't stand these bloody things. They just happen to be very useful tools when I'm lost. <laughs> I have a GPS, right? Or if I need to look something up very quickly, I can find those types of things. But otherwise, it's just a bunch of distractions. I'm going to confess again. The Lord's been working on, on me with this. Getting me to rethink this a little bit. Because I'm, I'm going to make a statement here. I'm still developing this, and I'll probably do a little bit more on it later. But <clears throat> I think... I think that distraction is the precursor to disruption. Because all those things that we talk about the enemy, when we talk about things like shame, when we talk about things like um, steal, kill, and destroy, when we talk about lies, they're all disruptions to our lives. They're things that disrupt our belief systems. Sometimes it can uh, cause things like depression and it puts us into bed and we can't get out. It wrecks relationships and so on and so forth. It destroys our self-esteem. It brings more shame. But I think that distraction is the precursor to most of it, if not all of it. Okay, now maybe that's an abstract term. Okay, maybe that's an abstract idea. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you a little bit. So, uh, a couple of nights ago, <clears throat> I was on my phone, and I was scrolling through something that was com completely um, unimportant, right? Probably YouTube or something. And, um, well, Lisa walks in, and she was, uh, I think she was doing some stuff um, in the house before it was time to go to bed or something like that. And uh, she comes in and she's talking to me. And this little voice in my head goes, She's talking to you. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, so what I did is I, I, said, I, I acknowledged the fact that she was there and that she was talking to me. And yet, as she's talking, I'm still scrolling on my phone. And I'm listening to something. I wish I could remember what it was. Probably had something to do with one of the girls and what they were doing and some details or something that I needed to know or a question that she had, but I'm still scrolling. And then she goes off and she's, you know, doing some other things to get her house ready, you know, for the night. She's probably herding cats because that's what happens in our house. We herd a lot of cats. And she, she goes off and, and does that. And a few minutes later, she comes back into the room and I hear the little voice in my head again. She's talking to you again. <clears throat> And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. Now you have my full attention. And so she asks a couple questions. We have a discussion, and she goes back and, and finishes hurting the rest of the cats or something. I don't know, one of those types of things. And so what do I do? I pick this thing up again, right? And I'm scrolling through. She comes back into the room a third time, but something changed. Because a little voice in my head said, She's back again. <laughs> what just happened? The distraction now created an emotion. I'm miffed. She's annoyed. And the disruption is there is division between the two of us. 
that distraction is the precursor to division. Now let me tell you something. If my wife thinks it's important for me to know stuff about my girls, it is more important than the ridiculous comedian I'm watching on this stupid thing. The distraction precedes the disruption. Now look, we're not getting a divorce, okay, over this. But if you can imagine that happening time and time again, where she is now competing for my attention because of this thing, and we wonder why the divorce rate is 51% or higher, even in the church. Because the distractions always precede the disruptions. Number one way for the enemy to get you off the field is just distract you from it. In ancient Rome, the masses of people, they said, give them bread and circus. Distract them from the real problems that were going on in the world. Just distract them. A lot of those kinds of things happen in this world today too, but I think it starts on a personal level before it happens on a, on a, on a corporate level or a collective level. But here's the thing that I want you to remember before, you know, as we kind of wrap this thing up. Look, the enemy is behind both those things. The shame, the enemy actually planted there. Now, it may be somebody else's voice, but it's still him because it's a lie. He's the father of lies, and his native tongue is lying. Shame is a lie, one that builds on top of each other. Distraction, again, the same thing. It is the precursor to disruption every single time as far as I can tell. The only protection, the best protection, is the Holy Spirit. This is why we have to fan that gift into flame. Otherwise, you're vulnerable. In Ephesians, Paul spends a great deal of time talking about the armor of God. And the one thing that always, I've always found interesting was that the sword was the Spirit. Remember, salvation is the helmet and the faith is the shield. The faith extinguishes the darts of the enemy. The sword of the spirit. In ancient Rome, most soldiers were issued a short slashing weapon called a broadsword, about yay long. Now, you could use it as a weapon, but one of its primary th uses was when you had darts in your shield, you'd take that sword, boom, and you'd break them off. So you weren't carrying the weight of the darts with the weight of the shield. So the spirit comes, breaks those things off. Your faith extinguishes it, but you're still carrying the weight of it, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why... God says, through Paul, to fan into flame. You want to cut the darts that are embedded in your shield. And that's why every single time things go wrong or things that are happening in your life that you don't understand, we tell you, go back to the presence of God. Go back to the presence of God. Fan into flame that gift because in that gift is power. In that gift is love that you need for the power to flow. And in that gift is the self-control that you need to protect you 
from the schemes of the enemy. You see that? Man, this is powerful stuff. This is deep, deep things that have actual practical application to your life every day. So if you're feeling that, if you're feeling the weight, maybe it's shame, maybe it's distraction, maybe it's, you know, somebody at work that's just driving you a little crazy, whatever it happens to be, here's the question. Here's the question. Where are you in relation to him? Has your fire grown cold? Because the only way to deal with that stuff is from that place of self-control and love, and then the power actually happens. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? Hopefully you don't feel like you've drunk from a fire hose today. But I would invite you to think about those three characteristics and ask yourself and ask God, Lord, are these things present in my own life? And if so, Lord, how would you want me to fan these things into flame? Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for people like Paul who give us these beautiful, wise words that make a huge difference in our understanding about ourselves, how the enemy works, and the goodness that you have in store for us. And my prayer today is that every person who is listening to me, whether here in the auditorium or online, that your spirit would speak to them about their self-control, about their love, and about the power that's available in you. And Lord, I also want to pray against anything that is not from you. The condemning voices, the who do you think you are, the distractions, all of it. Lord, that there would be nothing that would accuse these saints of lack of control, of lack of love, of lack of power, but rather your Holy Spirit saying, oh, let's go on a journey together. Let's do this. And I ask you, Lord, for the people who have a desire in their heart to follow you in this way, that you would answer and answer in the way that only you can, one that would cause deep, deep change, that would cause us to, to actually live out these things that we're reading, that we wouldn't settle for anything less than what we find in your word. Lord, I pray for your power to be available and active in this church. But in order to do that, Lord, I pray first for your love to fill us, to overflow every person here. And God, that you would inspire and impart a holy self-control so that we wouldn't be vulnerable to the enemy and that we would be able ultimately to be filled and to partner with you in changing the circumstances around us. That's the kind of church that I, I dream about. I think it's the kind of church that you dream about and I just want to align my dreams with yours. So bless us now as we sing.
bless us now as we um, believe. And bless us now mostly with your presence because that's what we need. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.